this morning, I'm going to encourage you, there's some Kleenex boxes around, because we're going to show a video this morning that is a, a good portion of the message. It's about six minutes long. But if you don't cry at it, I'm going to say that you, you might not have a soul. Um, so, so um, you know, you may want to grab some of those Kleenex, pass those around if you've got the box next to you. It'll be a couple of minutes before we get to that, but um, it is a, I can't, I can't even watch it to, to prepare for my message. I was trying to watch it and I couldn't make it, and I'm not an emotional person, so um, I had to turn it off and say, yep, that'll be good, that'll be fine. Um, you know, we've been going through the Ten Commandments over the last, uh, last two months, really. And as we've been going over the, the Ten Commandments, we've had some bumps in the road. If you were here on, um, on July 11th, you'll know that, uh, that we had a, a fun Sunday without anything in here because we had forgot our trailer. I shouldn't say we. I had forgot our trailer. And so um, we've had a few things going on during with... And actually, this message that I'm giving this morning was the message we were supposed to give on that Sunday. But we've been going through the Ten Commandments, and as we've been going through them, I'd like to refresh uh, those of you who have slept since then and those of you who are new. Um, these are not a to-do list in order to get into heaven. So many times we, you talk to somebody and say, hey, um, what do you think it takes to get into heaven? And they say, well, at least I follow the Ten Commandments. And that's not what the Ten Commandments are given for. As a matter of fact, it's not about following rules to get into heaven. It's not about making you feel guilty so you do something right. It's about a relationship with God. And it's confirming that relationship. It's not a condition to have a relationship, but it's confirming that relationship, saying, yeah, I have a relationship with God, and I want to follow him, and I want to follow these things that he's laid out. Just like a parent would lay out rules for his, her, his and her kids, same thing with God. He's laying out rules for his kids. And so far, as we've talked, we've gone over five commandments. Uh, first one was uh, basically that God wants and needs to be first. He wants and needs to be first. He needs to be the first one in line. The second one was that God doesn't want you to shove him into some little idol or some little controllable feature. That way uh, you can put him in one room and go do something else in another room or anything like that. He wants to be God and God alone and worshiped alone. Third one we talked about was talking about uh, not taking his name in vain. And we had, if, uh, if you weren't here that Sunday, the big thing we talked about it was it's not the same thing we grew up with thinking that, oh, well, I can't cuss and use God's name because it's so much more than that. It was, he's saying, don't tag my name onto something that's not really mine. Don't say, hey, yeah, God asked me to do this when God didn't really ask you to do it. You're just throwing his name in there for whatever situation. The fourth one was, was hey, take a break. As a matter of fact, on that morning, I encouraged you to go home that afternoon and take a nap. And I'm going to do it again for you today because that's what we need to do. You need to take a nap. You need to get your rest. That's what God wants you to do. He wants you to take a break. And then last week, um, the lads touched on honoring mom and dad. And that's what kind of kicked off our family week and all those things like that. Well, that leads us to our sixth one, which is found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. And the sixth one is do not murder. And this is, a, this is probably one of the most difficult commandments to talk about. It's also the most misunderstood misinterpreted, because the King James Version actually uses the words do not kill, which takes people and they can twist that into whatever it is. But really, the word, and we'll talk about it after the video, is, is actually do not murder. And as we look at this, I want you to see more so even than, than uh, we'll, we'll talk about what, it, what this actually includes, what it prohibits, what it doesn't prohibit, but more so life itself and how great life is 
even in its good times and its bad times. And we're going to talk about that as well. I want to show this video. And uh, if you need to take a six-minute bathroom break so you don't mess up your makeup, that's fine. Uh, but uh, I'm pretty sure that uh, this is going to be uh, pretty touching for you. So, Corey, would you roll the video? Hit the lights for Dear Elliot, right now you are two months from being born. We just found out that you have trisomy 18, also called Edwards Syndrome. Doctors tell us that you won't likely make it to birth. Your mom and I are praying against that. We're praying for healing. We are praying for nothing less than a miracle. You're our first child, and the day of your birth couldn't come sooner. Dear Elliot, you were born today weighing in at six pounds. You are already a miracle to us. Your mom is doing well, and it looks like we'll be hanging out here at the hospital a little longer. Dear Elliot, today you turned 11 days old. We are so proud of you. Today we celebrated your 11th birthday. In fact, we do that every day at 4.59, the time you were born. Dear Elliot, we've been home for a week now, so that's why you don't see your nurses anymore. It's great to have you home. Today I think we'll pack up everything and take our first venture out for coffee. Dear Elliot, I don't know if you've noticed, but you're connected to some tubes. The doctors say we have to keep these in so you can get oxygen to breathe. You're also fed through a feeding tube. We feed you every three hours and it takes an hour and a half to do it. We've loved learning how to best take care of you. We love it. Lots of people email, call, and send cards on your behalf. You're well loved. It's 11 at night right now and my feeding shift has just begun. Mom is asleep and the best part of my day has begun. My shift ends around 4.45 a.m. when your mom takes over. She cherishes her mornings with her boy. Today you turn one month old. I didn't know if I'd ever get to say that. To top off the day, 20 friends showed up at the door for a true surprise birthday party for you. They sang, brought balloons, and a birthday cake. It was beautiful chaos. At 2 a.m. this morning, your feeding tube came out. We had been warned this may happen eventually. We quickly realized we did not have a stethoscope, which was necessary to replace the tube. Since our neighbor was a nurse, I went ahead and knocked on their door at 2.30 a.m. They found their stethoscope, and your mom went to it. After much wrestling, praying, and your tears, the tube was down, and you were able to feed. Just so you know, your mom is my hero. Dear Elliot, you now weigh 7 pounds 3 ounces. You're growing and your food has been bumped up because of your good appetite. You continue to find new ways to steal our hearts. Dear Elliot, today marks two months of your life. Your mom and I are so thankful we know you. We know your face, your noises. We know that bath time and massage are your favorite daily activity. You finally learned how to suck your thumb by yourself. Because of trisomy 18, you were born with clenched fists, and being able to do this is actually quite difficult. Way to go, son. Dear Elliot, we celebrate your birthday every day with a picture. Lately, we've tried to get a bit more creative. Dear Elliot, I realize you can get frustrated with your tubes and your frequent congestion. Please know that your mom and I are doing everything we can to make you comfortable. Dear Elliot, well, you tipped the scales today at 8 pounds, 14 ounces. Quite an accomplishment. 
you also have managed to grow a pretty decent mullet. Dear Elliot, we all got to go to a reunion at the hospital. I've never seen your mom more happy. The joy she felt getting to show off her son can't be described with words. In fact, she compared it to the way a mother would feel when her son becomes president or wins a Heisman or develops a cure for cancer. The logic of medicine says you shouldn't be alive, but you are. You are such a fighter. Dear Elliot, you have now passed the three-month mark. You also got your first cordless pictures taken today. No feeding tube, oxygen, or stickers. This was no small accomplishment, but we got it done. Have I told you lately that we are so proud of you? Dear Elliot, today you went to be with Jesus. An underdeveloped lung, a heart with a hole in it, and DNA that placed faulty information into each and every cell of your body could not stop God from revealing himself through a child who never uttered a word. Not a pulpit, not a slick presentation, not a best-selling book, but a six-pound boy with trisomy 18. God found great pleasure to take a lowly thing in the eyes of the world and show truth. At your funeral, we released 99 balloons each balloon representing a day of your life. How beautiful it was to watch. How quickly they were gone. And so today, we celebrate. Elliot, you are well. And although we miss you more than we can express, we're only separated from you by our time left on earth. See you soon, son, mom and dad. Yeah, sorry about that. The uh, that video, I, I just, you know, as we sat down when I was looking at all the things to do with, um, you shouldn't murder. So many things come to your mind, and so many things are are talked about. And you look at that, and you say, you know, that baby easily could have had a late term abortion because I knew it wasn't going to live anyway. You know, those kind of things. You think about that, and you say, well, you know. Why not? Why did they have him live? Why did they have him live those days? And you look at that and you think about that. And you think about, if you have kids, I don't know if it's more emotional that way because I can't even imagine building a connection over three months of, you know, face-to-face time. And obviously plenty of things you have to do for the, that baby. And, and you look at it and you say, oh, you know, there's this connection now. And then he's gone. And it says, blessed be your name. You know, we sang it earlier. When, when you're in the high places and when you're low places. And, you know, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to today take a look because, you know, life is, is a beautiful thing. It really is. And, and um, I think sometimes we, uh, we take it for granted. We take it for granted. And, and uh, you know, in my own personal opinion, I think the, the theory of evolution has, has ruined a little bit of what we think about life because we assume that if we're an accident, then it's okay to take that life instead of something that was created by God 
something that's loved by God, something that was loved so much by God that he gave his one and only son for us. And, you know, you look at that and you think about that and you say, oh, you know, what, what does this commandment have to do with? Because, I mean, how many of us in here honestly are going to say, yeah, I'm going to go murder somebody? I mean, that's, that, it would be so easy just to skip this one. But I want to take a little deeper look into what we have here. Because, you know, life really does have its ups and downs. And life has great moments and life has terrible moments. I mean, I think each and every one of us have experienced that somewhere along the way. And the great thing is, is in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, um, you've probably uh, heard it. You've probably heard it in a song at some point in time. Um, But it says this. It says, For everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to turn away, a time to search and a time to quit searching, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be quiet and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What do people really get for all their hard work? I've seen the burden God has placed on us all. Excuse me. Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. So I concluded, and this being Solomon, there is nothing better than to be happy and enjoy ourselves as long as we can. And people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor, for these are the gifts of God. You know, I really truly believe that this is a gift from God, the life that we have the life that we are sitting here living right now, and you might be in a high time in your life and everything's great, and you might be in a low time in your life and everything stinks. But it's still a gift from God. It's still something we love and we cherish, and we, we, uh, we go on to the next season in our lives. And today, as we're in the sixth commandment, like I said, you know, it's not like we're going to be like, oh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to murder somebody. We're going we're gonna to kill somebody. So this commandment's for me. I'm glad you're talking about this today. Um, but I do want you to hear this. Did you know that, uh, and these are stats from 2005, so I would assume they're probably higher now, but it says by the time a kid reaches the age of 18, they'll have witnessed over 200,000 acts of violence on television. 16,000 of those will be murders. The average kid under 10 will witness 20 acts of violence per hour on TV. And if you're at my house watching Tom and Jerry, it's much higher than that. <laughs> if you watch the news... What's the first three, four stories about? Somebody who got killed, murdered, drunk driving accident, killed somebody, so on and so forth. Um, you know, that right there in itself leads to a desensitization, you know, for us to be a desensitized culture. And, and when we, we see something, you know, um, I'll, I'm going to admit I'm guilty of it, okay? I went and saw um, Night and Day, Tom Cruise movie with Penelope, or not Penelope, uh, Cameron Diaz. And uh, uh, there's a scene in it where he's fighting this guy, and the guy gets, like, knocked out a window of a train, and he's trying to fight his way back in, and another train comes by and hits him while he's hanging out the window. And I laughed. I laughed out loud. I know I'm sick. I know that. I know what you're thinking in your brain. But all I could think about was, you know, he deserved it. He was the assassin guy. He needed to die. And, you know, we, th- that's our mindset. And maybe you don't have that same one, or maybe I'm alone, or maybe I'm preaching to myself here. But I have a feeling that there's some people in here that play video games and watch TV shows and watch movies, and death is nothing. 
It's not a big deal. And we, and we do those kind of things like that, and we look at those kind of things, and as we look at them, you know, we live in a violent country. As a matter of fact, we're probably one of the most violent countries in the world. Um, every 22 minutes, somebody is stabbed, beaten, or shot, or strangled to death. Every 22 minutes in our country. More kids under 18 die from violence than they do from illness. That's just a scary thing to think about. And you look at commandment number six, and we say you must not murder. Some of you may have learned this one a little different, like I said, from the King James where it says kill. But the actual word um, is ratzak, and it means to, to murder or, to, or manslaughter. It, and it's more than just killing. And, you know, if we say do not kill, well, it kind of changes the way we see things. And, and people can misinterpret that, and they can take it and say, well, you're not supposed to kill animals, and you're not supposed to you know, kill your fish or whatever it is, all these kind of things like this. But what I want to do is I want to take a little deeper look into, into uh, some of the misunderstandings and, and take a look at what the Bible actually has to say. You know, it's funny because as I, um, you know, two months ago when I decided, yeah, we're going to work through our way through the Ten Commandments over the summer, this is the one that I really didn't want to do because this is probably the one that would be politically challenging for some people that might be in here as we talk about some of the things. But I'm not here, unfortunately. Uh, my job isn't here to make you feel better. My job is here is to, is to teach you God's word and, and let you, if you have a problem with it, talk to God about it. Um, you can come and talk to me, but I'm just going to say, hey, it's all kind of right here. So um, as we get into this, I want to pray because I, I don't want these to be my words. I want these to be God's words. And, and I'm afraid that if I get too much into this, that I can start saying things that uh, are mine and not his. So let's pray together. Father, we love you so much and we thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you for what it says to us, both in the good times and in the bad times. And, and Lord, sometimes we agree and sometimes we disagree, but it's your word. And, and Lord, it's between uh, us and you to, to work through those differences. And, and God, I thank you that you've given us the ability to even want to um, have a choice in the matter, that you didn't just make us robots to follow you around, but God, you gave us the ability to choose to follow you or choose not to. And Lord, this morning as we get into this commandment, I pray, Lord, you just speak to us. Pray it on your name. Amen. Um, what I want to do first, I want to talk about what this commandment doesn't mean. Okay? The first one is, it does not prohibit the killing of animals. The Bible is very clear about the difference between human life and animal life. And in the Bible, many times, God commands that animals be sacrificed. And one thing you need to know is that God never contradicts himself in the Bible. He never contradicts himself by saying one thing one place and another thing another place. You know, there might be unclear passages. We'll find a clear passage about it and move on from it. Look what it says in Genesis 9.3. It says, everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, now I give you everything. So this is what God's saying. You don't have to be a vegetarian unless you want to be, okay? So if you want to go to Rudy's for lunch later, it's okay with me. So you can take, go to Rudy's and then take your nap, okay? Uh, second thing it doesn't, uh, doesn't prohibit it doesn't prohibit capital punishment, okay? Each one of these, yeah, there's definitely political stuff to it all, and I'm not trying to get political with anybody. I, I'm just telling you what, what the Bible says. Uh, it doesn't prohibit capital punishment because many times in Scripture, God commands capital punishment, actually. God says in certain crimes are worthy of the death penalty. Leviticus 24 says, anyone who commits murder shall be put to death. The principle is a life for a life. I think that's pretty clear. Um, and God says there's some things that like, mur like murder that demand the death penalty. Next one is, it doesn't prohibit going to war. It doesn't prohibit going to war. As a matter of fact, in the Ecclesiastes we just read, it says there is a time for war. 
God says there's some things worth fighting for, there's some things that are worth dying for, and it's right to fight in order to preserve freedom. Um, Edmund Burke, who was a, uh, pol- an Irish politician back in the 1800s, once said, all that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. And I really truly believe that, that this doesn't prohibit war. Two other ones real quick. Uh, God is also not talking about defending your home. If you look at Exodus 22.2, it talks about that. And it also talks about um, accidental killings. And uh, the uh, passage that's used here in Deuteronomy 19.5 says, if you go out into the forest and you're cutting wood with somebody and your axe head flies off and hits the other guy in the head, that you're not guilty of murder. So if you're ever out in the forest, um, there you have it. Um. So that, that's what it doesn't have to do with. That's some of the things that, that are very clear, what, what uh, God has to say for us. But um, if you understand this, the, uh, the whole idea of what we're doing here, uh, the reason why we're doing the Ten Commandments is, is the ten values that build, or build a family foundation. Ten values that build a family foundation. Well, what value are we getting out of this to build on a family foundation other than we get to go to Rudy's and take a nap later? Um, this is what it is. Did you know the most violent crimes generally happen within a family? The first murder in the Bible happened within a family. What can we take from all of this to build on? The reason why I showed you the video, the reason why we, we're talking about this this morning is this very reason right here. Life is a value. Every life, every human life is a value. And, you know, we talked about the fact that the, the things that aren't included, but what does this commandment include? What does this commandment include? The first one is a suicide. Suicide. God says don't do it. He says don't do it. Suicide is now the number two killer among college students. Did you know that? It's the number three killer among high school students. I unfortunately, in the time of youth ministry that I had here in, uh, in New Mexico, had to deal with two suicides of kids in my youth group. It's probably the hardest thing I've ever had to deal with because it was over... Something probably, I mean, we didn't ever know. Nobody left a note or anything like that. But you know that it was probably something over something small that easily could have been dealt with and you learn from and you go on with life. And so many times people think, well, that's, that's the easiest way. That's the way out of here. If I just take my life and get it out, you know, I'm good. I'm done. You know, I'm tired of this. God, I, I can do this. But God says, hey, there's going to be seasons in your life. There's ups and there's downs. And just bear with me. We're going to get you through this. It's refining you. It's just like when they put gold in the fire, all, a lot of heat gets on there, and then the bad stuff comes to the top. They scoop it off, and, and it purifies. And, you know, that's kind of what happens. Uh, we think that we're our own bosses. We think that our life is our own. But as you see here in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, and 20, it says, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. And that price was Jesus Christ's life. God knows the days that you have. God knows who you are. He knows everything about you. He knows he, he's laid your whole life out for you before you were even born. I don't know if you're in here thinking right now, you know, I don't know if life's worth living. I don't, I don't know where you're at. I don't know each person in here. Like I said, there's some people in here that are having great highs in their life and everything's just going fabulous. And there's other people in here that are like, oh, man, life couldn't get any worse for me, honestly. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn. Turn to God. There's hope found in him. There's not hope found in anything else. There's not hope in alcohol or drugs or any of those things like that. All that stuff is temporary. It might leave you high, and then you drop off again, and you're even worse situation. But there is hope found in God, and I want to tell you to turn there. I want to tell you to turn to him. You matter to God. 
You were made for a purpose, and he cares about you, and he can help you out of whatever problems you're going through, and he can help you even through the good times you're going through. Second one is euthanasia. It's a technical term. When I was a little kid, I used to actually think it was youth in Asia, and, uh, and I never quite understood it, and uh, now I do because it's not euthanasia. It's euthanasia. Um, this is the, uh, you know, the taking of a life of an elderly or disabled or whatever it might be that they feel that people think that, oh, well, they're not a full-quality adult or full-quality person, so they can't live. And Job 12.10 says, It is God who directs the lives of his creatures. Every man's life is in his power. I think this is one of those, once again, political touchy subjects. A couple of years ago, there was that, uh, that lady who was, whose husband was trying to unplug her, and it was a whole big, huge court mess. And, you know, um, if somebody's living artificially constantly, you know, there, there's obviously battles in, in that in people's minds and, and what to do. But, but uh, God has people alive for a reason. And it's just plain and simple. I mean, just like I said with that little baby, they could very easily could have taken care of him. Before he was born, they could have not put feeding tubes in him, just let him, you know. And, and you know, look what he did, though. That, that story, that video itself has been shown on NBC a number of times uh, just in talking about the sanctity of life and things like that. And so, so think that one little life, 99 days, and what he did in those 99 days to, uh, to change so many people's lives. The next one, probably the most politically uh, charged one, abortion. This one definitely includes abortion. Psalm 139, 13 says, You, God, created every part of me. You put me together in my mother's womb. When my bones were being formed and I was growing there in secret, you knew I was there. You saw me before I was born. The days allotted uh, allotted to me were all recorded in your book before any of them ever began. You know, as we look at that verse and you look at each I and me and my in the verse, he's talking about a baby and its mother. He's talking about a, a life that he had created, that he has, has seen and that he knows and he knows everything and it's still inside its mother. Other passages of scriptures that God talks about, uh, uh, you know, are uh, he knows your personality before you're born. He says he knows the numbers of hairs on your head. And the sad thing is, is you realize that one in every four pregnancies ends in abortion in America? One in every four pregnancies ends in abortion. If you add up every American life lost in, in a war that America has ever fought in, 655,000 men have lo- and women have lost their lives. But if you look at the Holocaust, six million Jews were killed in the Holocaust. Crazy numbers. But nothing in comparison to the number of babies that have been killed before they were born, 50 million it just kind of blows you away, and it's just one of those things that, that eats at you. And, you know, I know there's arguments in people's head that say, but what about this and what about that? Do you realize that less than 1% of all abortions that are, are done are because of rape or incest or threatening the life of the mother? So 99%. And you also know that over 50% of all abortions done are done by Christians or people who claim to be Christians or whatever you want to call it. I mean, it, it's kind of one of those things that blows you away, and, and you might be saying right now in your head, you might have already crossed your arms and said, well, Matt, you're not a woman. I know that. Um, I do understand that. And um, even more so, I've never been put in a decision to have to, to, to make a, a life-changing decision like that, uh, but I really, truly believe in my heart that there is no accidental conceptions, that God knows exactly what he wants, and there's no unwanted pregnancies, and that, you know, 
it's a difficult thing to, to talk about. It's a difficult thing to be in. And, and, you know, I told you I could have skirted this and we could have skipped six and just said, oh, you know what, none of us are going to murder anyway. We're going to jump onto seven and do adultery because all of us are, you know, that'll be more fun next week. Um, you know, uh, and, and, and that's just the way, that's just, it was my fault. I shouldn't have ever decided the Ten Commandments. Just. But, um, you know, Jesus saw himself uh, talking with people. And, you know, there, there's a lot of people that might say, well, so there, you pro-choice people, you've heard it now straight from the pastor's mouth, straight from the Bible. But I think Jesus heard people doing those kind of things uh, right before he got into the Sermon on the Mount. Because you know that Jesus talks about, uh, talks about this very commandment, one of the first things he talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. And what he does is he says, hey, you guys who are pointing your fingers at everybody else, you've got to remember you have three fingers pointing back at you. He says, you guys think you've gotten off scot-free and that you guys aren't doing anything, but you've misinterpreted this verse because this verse has so much more. And if you open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 21 through 24, it'll be up on the screen if you don't have your Bibles with you. But um, as you open there, uh, we need to take a look and see because Jesus really wants to make it very clear why he does what he does and why he's talking about what he's talking about. And he wants to make it very clear that this commandment goes so much further beyond murder that it has to do with each and every one of us. Look what it says here in verse 21. It says, you have heard that it was said that people long ago do not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, so we see right here when he stops and says, but I tell you, Jesus is using this statement to set up what this commandment really is all about that. He's saying basically, you know what? All you religious people who have studied the Scripture for thousands of years, you're getting it wrong. And we need to take a look at it. We need to understand what it's really all about. So he goes on and he says, But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Angry. Anger. See, anger is the root of murder when it's uncontrolled and unrestrained. 1 John 3.15 actually says, anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And Jesus is laying this out, and he says, again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin, but anyone who says, you fool, will be in dangers of the fire of hell. This is calling someone a fool or an idiot or belittling them in some way that, that puts them down and is basically stealing their life away from them. Because, you, you know, there's that, that old saying of, oh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Well, that's a bunch of bull. You know that. Because names, man, I'll take a broken arm over somebody tearing me down because my arm will heal. Those things will stick in your brain. Those things will, will, will plant themselves there. And, and God's saying, hey, Jesus is talking about the fact that these words that come out of people's mouths, that come out of each and every one of our mouths, that tear somebody else down, is destroying things. It's destroying somebody else. It's killing somebody else. As a matter of fact, Proverbs 18.21 says, the tongue has the power of life and death. And I think you know that already. It goes on into verse 23. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there at the front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then, come and offer your gift. What's Jesus saying here besides turn on the air conditioning over here? Anybody? Anybody hearing him say that in this message? Um, what's Jesus saying in this, uh, in this thing right here? He's saying solve your problems before you even come to church. 
Solve your problems before you come and offer a tithe. Solve your problems with people before anything else because that, that problem can plant a little seed in you and that seed is like a weed of bitterness that will come up and it will take over your life. It will destroy who you are and your gift will be worthless and your worship will be worthless if you don't. Oh, beautiful sound right there. Um, he's saying, do that, come to me. And you know what? This all tags in line with do not murder. So would you say that each and every one of us in here are guilty of breaking the sixth commandment? Absolutely. And if you're not, man, I am. I know I am. And I'm, I'm able to admit it right here, right now. Because I get angry at people. And I let it just fester inside of me. And I, I don't like to talk about it. But when that, that happens, that bitterness grows. And then when you see that person, you do that kind of turn your back thing to them. And then that t- causes more problems. You think that, that helps in a church at all? You ever been to a church where people are fighting? Is it fun to be there? Never. You ever been to somebody's house when their kids are fighting? It's kind of like the same when you go to the church. It's God's kids are fighting. And it's never a good thing and it's never something. So what Jesus is saying here is, hey, take care of whatever issues you've got before you come in here. I don't know how many of you guys walked in the front door over here with a fake smile on your face saying, yeah, everything's good, but really on the inside, everything's not good. You're a closet murderer. And you're like, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. You know, um, I, I just don't know. I don't know where you're at, and I don't know those things. And I know I've done it before. I've walked in because I had to because this is my job. I have to be here on a Sunday. And I've come in, and I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm really glad to see you. But inside, I'm thinking, no, I wish you weren't here at all. And, uh, and you know, the, uh, that's a terrible thing. And, and that's what God's saying. Don't, don't come to church. Don't come to me with your, your hey, I want to worship you, when really you hate the thing that I created that's sitting right next to you or whatever it is. So you need to take care of that stuff. And Jesus makes it very clear that this sixth commandment is more than just murder. Now, there are things that are included in that that we've already talked about. But he makes it very clear when it gets right down to it is how we treat people. This sixth commandment is how we treat people. And all of us are murderers at heart. We're all prone to uncontrollable anger. We're all prone to abusive speech. And we're all prone to harbor resentment towards other people. And God's saying, you know what? Take care of it. Because I don't want you representing me like that. Because that's not who I am. And you are my body. And I don't want you representing me like that. This is a hard commandment to talk about. It's so much more than just simply killing. It's so much deeper than, than, than uh, just murder. I mean, we all break it. When we break it, what, what do we do? I mean, when we say, yeah, we're murderers. Well, do you realize the three main authors of the Bible were all murderers, literally? Moses, Paul, and I just, David. <laughs> Wrote it down. I mean, all of them took somebody's life. All of them have done something wrong, and God used them in such a mighty way. So you're sitting in here, and you might be saying, well, yeah, I've torn people down, and I've got a real bad attitude, and I do things like that. What am I supposed to do? Well, that's what the greatest thing about God's grace is. You know, there's nothing that we can do and say, yeah, that now I've equaled out the scale so God will accept me into heaven even though I've said this, but I've done this good so my scale's a little higher on this side and a little lower so I've actually got a little more weight on my good than I do on my bad and so I'm going to get into heaven. No, it's by God's grace. God's grace, He can use it. Grace to find itself is actually the freely given, unmerited or unearned favor and love of God. The unearned favor and love of God. We didn't earn it. 
We haven't done anything that's worthy of God's love and what he did. See, God's grace is sufficient for you no matter what you've done. No matter what you've done. No matter what I've done, no matter what you've done, God's grace is sufficient for us. It's sufficient for everyone. And, uh, sorry. Um, and, you know, the, the crazy thing is, is all you have to do is accept it. All you have to do is accept it. All you have to do is know that he's forgiven us. All you have to do is allow him to change you and become more like him. That's all you have to do. And I know it's not an easy thing to do. It's so awesome when, um, when Mark was up here from the lads and he shared it. and All these kids stood up and understood that God's grace was what's going to get him to heaven. Not by being good or being bad, but by God's grace. And you know, I don't know where you're at. Once again, each and every person in here has a different story and a different place in their life. And as you're in that different place and you're looking at those different things, we say to ourselves, well, I've done this wrong. There's no way God can love me. I've done that wrong. There's no way God can love me. And God says, hey, let me be the judge. Just accept my grace and accept my son Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You know, that this verse that's on the screen here, it's probably the most quoted verse, the rainbow wig guy that sits behind the goalposts at the football stadiums and things like that. He holds up John 3.16. And you probably, that was probably the verse, first verse you ever memorized if you went through Bible school and things like that. But do you really understand what it means? Do you really understand what this is? It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. You see, I have three kids. And I wouldn't give them up for any single one of you, ever. I'm letting you know that right now. And I hope that if you're a parent, you would never give up your kid for me. But I think that puts into perspective how much God loved the world because there's a lot of you in here I like. And I wouldn't give you up. You ought to understand that Romans chapter 8 says, Christ died for us while we are still what? Sinners. And that we didn't like him. These are a bunch of people that didn't even care about Jesus. They're the ones that sent him to the cross. And he died for them anyway, saying, you know what? Father, forgive them. I don't know where you're at in your life. I don't know if you're trying to be good enough. I don't know what you're doing. But let me explain to you this. God cares for you so much that he sent his one and only son to die on the cross for you and for me, even when we didn't like him and even when we didn't agree with what he was doing. And even when we said, well, this Ten Commandments, I don't really agree with that stuff. I want to live my own life or whatever it is. I don't know where you're at. But what I do know is I know where God's at and he's waiting for you.